Welcome to the County Pulse. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia county governments. My name is Angela Inglet, Baker Director of Program Development and your host for today. In addition, we have Frank Basio, who serves on the board of New Pathways, a career and technical educational entity, and who also served for a time as the Culpeper County Administrator. In addition, we have Sue Hansen, who currently serves on the Board of Supervisors in Culpeper County. Sue and Frank, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Andrew. Of course, we're delighted to have you. And today we are here to discuss an issue that I know is close to both of your hearts uh, and to mine as well. And that is the subject of workforce development. And I think it's interesting that currently we are hearing a great deal about this topic, both in Virginia, in rural localities and urban localities, um, and also nationwide. And so before we jump into a discussion of some of the efforts that you all have made in Culpeper County, I'd be interested to hear some of y'all's thoughts about the issue of workforce development in general and why this seems to be such a topic of concern for folks. Why is there such uh, a challenge, it seems, with the issue of resiliency in the American workforce? And I'll let uh, Sue answer that question first. Okay, I won't go into too many specifics, but we are part of an industry council that serves several counties in our locality. And it keeps cropping up at every meeting that manufacturers and employers are having a difficult time finding employees that are skilled in manufacturing jobs and those type of jobs. And it's because they're saying that their their current employees are aging out and there's no one to fill the spot. And what I'm seeing from looking at the public school system, there's not much effort to train our young high school students into looking into these other type of careers other than college. So I think the lack of focus on skilled jobs has been going on for many, many years in the public school system. And I think now we're seeing the results of there aren't enough employees to do the job. So that's a real scary proposition if we've got all this work here and nobody's trained to do it. Um, so that's my thought on it. For sure. Frank, have you uh, anything to add to that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, we, uh, again, this is this has been an ongoing effort uh, basically throughout the country in many localities and, and you know, towns, cities across the, across the nation in one form or another. And uh, I think it all started with the well-intentioned notion that, you know what, the better educated people are, uh, the, you know, the, the more fruitful the economy is going to be. And, and, you know, there's an element of truth to that. And, I mean, who could argue with the better educated population? I mean, you know. Thomas Jefferson himself said that. But the bottom line was education means more than just one thing. And so we, and over time, you know, in the culture just sort of migrated towards the everyone has to go to college. And we've had several generations now that, that have been sort of working under, under that notion that, you know, I have to go to college no matter what. But college doesn't provide meaningful work for everyone, but that was ignored because, you know, as culture went forward, parents began to think, well, I want my kid to go to college if this kid's going to college. And, you know, they want their life, their kids' lives to be better than theirs. And it all sort of took place sort of in a natural sequence with nobody thinking through the, the process or actually having any interaction with the kids who might have decided that they didn't want to go to college. 
So for us, I mean, in Culpeper County specifically, this effort has to, to change that and, and to listen to the manufacturers has been over 25 years. I mean, we've started programs and, and the problem was throughout the whole time, we're working against a huge notion in the nation that everybody had to go to college. So we learned some lessons, but we didn't get far. So this one was going to be a more studied approach to, you know, what we were doing. And uh, when we formed New Pathways, we had a specific need in mind for um, CNC machinists, computer numerically controlled machines, because those are, um, you know, that's something that manufactures pretty much everything. You know, they have their hands in pretty much everything that gets manufactured and, and turns out in industry. So we focused on that, and that's how we started uh, New Pathways. And we can talk later about, you know, the ins and outs of that. But generally, uh, nationwide, it's an answer to a call that Deloitte pointed out in 2017. Their prediction is that by 2025, 2 million jobs will go unanswered, uh, manufacturing jobs will go unanswered in the United States because the methods to train are not there. You know, I can give you a good example of what happened as well. My husband himself, 35 years ago, he went to work for a government agency, and all he needed was a, um, um, a he went to school, a trade school, by the time he retired, that same job, they were requiring a four-year degree. Well, you really don't need a four-year degree to do the job. But see, this is what's happened. These corporations have changed the entrance requirements for more and more schooling that probably isn't necessary for that particular job. So that's a, another thing to think about, why things have changed. And so you both have mentioned, you know, this issue of attitude and culture, this perpetuation that of the idea that everyone needs to go to college or that um, regardless of what field you're entering, uh, one should try to achieve a a college degree, which might be a uh, financial investment um, that is not needed for that particular career. So it sounds like it's an issue of attitude uh, among within the culture, but also an issue within business culture with those increased requirements and educational requirements. And so I think you've defined the the problem well. So tell me a little bit about what you all have put forward and able uh, to kind of work on this issue and to solve the problem or to work on the problem in Culpeper County. What is New Pathways and um, how did it come about? Okay, I'll jump in there. Um, after attending some of these industry council meetings, several of the members of those, we, we got together and said, okay, how can we address this issue? And these are people on the board that have other careers. So, you know, this is something that we felt strongly about and we're willing to give up our time to put it together. And we have someone like we have a the head of human services. We have a stockbroker. We have a uh, CPA. We have a guy who runs a machinist business. And so we all kind of got together and was brainstorming, what can we do? How can we do this? So we decided we were going to open a school, a machinist school. And fortunately, we had the county's backing because they had this old uh, school that was sitting out there and it wasn't being used anymore. It was called the Carver Washington School. And they decided the county gave us a big Morton building. They stripped it down, fixed it up. I mean, they put over a quarter of a million dollars into this building. Or us to try because everyone on the board of supervisors in Culpeper 
were strongly committed to vocational education, and they felt this is one thing that they could do to um, invest in the future of students here. So we went forward, we have the building, and then we decided um, to find out where we could get machines, because they're very expensive. And I'm going to let Frank talk about where we got those machines, because he was very integral in getting those. So we, that's how we started the process. So Frank, you can go on to okay, <laughs> the rest see, of the story. Well, I mean, the, the the major issue here is we had to really identify, you know, the problem and and to and to have our best grasp of what a solution might be. And so the problem, as you define it more, is the we began the, the things that people in mystery were telling us were, was that we, you know, we will uh, uh, absorb jobs and what will happen is technology will will revolve around itself every like eight to 12 months it used to be you know several years and now you know logical incremental improvement after the after the industrial revolution was a thing and right up until recently until technology began to move at such a rapid rate well because of that uh, we needed to figure out not only where we were going to get machines but where machines could be refreshed, you know, in time to have the technology. And the biggest thing for us was we needed to have the flexibility to answer the needs of industry. So here's some of the problems that were created by the everybody goes to college. You know, we the, the whole notion of that and technology uh, absorbing jobs at such a fast rate. Uh, cause people to uh, lose jobs. So if you have a family of three or four and, you know, let's say you're driving a truck or you're doing any other kind of thing, and pretty soon technology subsumes your job, you really don't have time to go to a four-year college to learn what can be learned in, in two years or even one year. So we needed to have a way that we could quickly reconfigure ourselves to the needs of industry. So... That was problem number one. We needed to have a solution where, well, you know, we can't start a course every 18 weeks or every six weeks or every nine weeks. We had to be able to start a course when somebody walked in the door and they were interested. We needed to be able to sign them up and get them started and start them through the program. So it's a revolving door where people come in and people leave, but they're not all in one class. They're all in different phases. And we needed to be able to make that work. So we set the structure up. You know that was very very flexible the next thing was as sue mentioned we needed to have machines so we had a partnership already with the board of supervisors and they they really have been tremendous i mean they, they every everybody on the board for the 16 and a half years that i was there always was fervent about you know vocational education need for change but there was never a solution that that was will you know that people were willing to just throw themselves into so the next thing was we needed machines. So we looked at BMG Mori, and uh, one of the guys who owns the machine shop said, you know, I have these machines. They're some of the best in the world, so maybe we could get something from them. Anyway, somehow word got out to the regional vice president of New Jersey. He came down to a uh, sales, came down and saw what we did, what we were doing and what we were planning, uh, looked at the building and said, you know what? We have an innovation days, uh, and this was in 2017 in Chicago. We're going to fly all you guys out there, as many of you that want to go, and, and take a look at this. And uh, we'd like you to give a briefing to uh, the, the chairman and CEO, the chairman of, uh, of DMG Mori, which was Dr. Mori himself, the son of Dr. Mori, who started the company in 1948. So when he listened to the brief, he said, so 
you can be flexible when if somebody change if we change if we change technology as as we are right now you guys can be um absorb it you know you can absorb that technology and, and and change it and if we help you with training and you know and machines that can be done he said but not only do you need that he said you need us when we make new machines that are every three years that are completely different need new new things uh to be taught you guys can be flexible enough to do that that's the kind of operation we were looking for and prior to that time dmd mori had never given uh, machines to any other educational uh, facility. So they equipped us with a, a, a CNX 1100, which is a pretty sophisticated three to five axis machine uh, worth a lot of money. And we made a deal with them that said, look, you guys can have this as your East Coast showroom uh, and training center for the ones that you have, because they have one in Charlotte one in, and one in uh, New Jersey, but they don't have one in the Atlantic. So we kind of constructed a deal with them that they got benefit out of it uh, at, at the at the, at the uh, short range, and in the long range, people that are trained on DMG equipment are going to want to go to work in places that have DMG equipment, which means if they're trained, uh, you know, on and on, so the, the chain exists. So that's kind of how we we got the machinery and we got started. The other relationship we had to have was, you know, starting a school. You have to be qualified by chef. So when you start down that road, then you start looking at the grants. Uh, you need really a relationship with the with the community college, which is the best shot at, at, at making that happen. So we formed a relationship and a memorandum of understanding with with Germana Community College that we would be basically, uh, if for lack of a better word, we were just like the Lockheed Skunk Works, right? We can we can try something. And if that doesn't work, we can scrap it and go on to the next thing. We can absorb new technology coming in, new, new curriculum coming in, and we don't have to go through all that laborious change that has to take place with all the regulations. They get the benefit of the credits. Uh, we get the benefit of their advertising and their, and their knowledge of education. And so it's a great, uh, I think, three-legged stool that, that makes it work. That's a long way of answering your question. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, Sue, could you share a little bit about what the response has been in Culpeper County and from the surrounding counties? What level of interest have you all seen from folks who are looking for an alternate route um, and who did not want to go the college track? Okay, right now, we just opened our doors actually to students last spring. So we're in the early days of trying to recruit students and we've had a couple of events where we've brought people down to look at school. And uh, right now we have a small enrollment of, I think it's 14 as of today. But the, um, I think one of our challenges, biggest challenges, is to get the word out that we have a good school here and who could come to the school, you know, who would qualify. So right now we're working with the different um, counties and we're going to be working directly with manufacturers because they're the ones that actually need the employees. Now, we do have a good relationship with one um, company, and they actually have an apprenticeship program. So they have four of our students working there during the day, and then they pay for the students to come to school. So that's the ideal situation is where our, because they're young adults, they need to work to make a living. So here they are working, they're making money, and they can still come to school. So that's the ideal, I think, for 
adults that need to make a living as well. But we're also going to be working uh, a little bit harder to try to recruit the new kids coming out of high school because they really aren't even aware that this is a career and it's available. So that's where we're going to be challenged for the next six months to really recruit from those students. Um, but the, the companies all say, hey, this is great. But to date, they're not really sending us any kind of applicants that we need. We get a few, but not as much as you would have thought. So that's our challenge. That's our biggest challenge. So you mentioned, Sue, that the, you know, the biggest challenge was recruiting students who are exiting high school. Why is that such a challenge? Why is there such a knowledge gap there? I, I know we've spoken earlier about students kind of being um, kind of funneled toward college, regardless if that's what their real desire would be. Mm-hmm. How, what is the response from the local schools to your program and to the information that you all are putting out regarding new pathways? Well, I think one of the problems is counselors don't even know about what a machinist does. So we need to educate the counselors so that when students go and say, I'm looking to go to school or do something, they can offer this as an option. So what we need to do is to get into those schools. And one idea is that we're going to put together a video of what goes on at the machinist school so they can show that to the students. Because unless they see it, they're not going to know about it. So we're working really hard. Pepper School actually is building a uh, vocational high school or vocational school that will we have two high schools so they can pull students from both of those schools to this um but to do machinist in there would be very expensive just because of the machines so what we're trying to do is work with that group that's putting together the vocational school and also allowing those students to see there's another option as well but it's getting into the schools it's getting into the counselors meeting with the counselors and I think another big component is trying to educate parents because a lot of parents don't see machinists as a viable uh, career. So you're going to try to somehow target parents and let them understand that, my God, this, this is just as good as going to college. Our kid can get out and start making about forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. It really is a worthwhile training issue. Um, but it's just, it's been very difficult to reach the people that need to come to school. Right. I see that. Uh, And Frank, I wonder if you could uh, share a little bit about um, what ultimate goal do you all have for New Pathways? If you could look 10 years down the road, what would you like to see coming from the program? Well, I mean, I'll I'll take my shot at that because I'm always, you know, looking five or ten years because I think it's important. Uh, just to go back for a second to, to the, the question that Sue was answering, you know, one of the things we all have to realize is that we took 25 or 30 years to get where we are today. We've been in, we've been, uh, in business, you know, with the doors open functionally uh, about uh, 11 months. So, and it takes about 10 or 11 students to stay afloat uh and plus we've got some grant money so we're at a point now where we you know we we do need the students but we we're starting to attract people that uh are coming in off the streets and when they get to this program we're about by the way to graduate our first student but uh 
they they understand what what the capability is they like the training and then the word of mouth starts to you know filter out there and we get other people calling us and we get people who are in other jobs getting ready to start small machine shops we had a one of the local guys who said, I'm getting ready to start a small machine shop, but I can't find anybody to do anything. And I heard about you guys. So he referred a student that, that he wanted to pay for to New Pathways uh, and, and to pay for the entire training, you know, so the guy could do some basic and, and light CNC work. But, to, you know, so, so we'll get there, but we have to understand we're in the midst of a transition. And that transition is taking place against a lot of momentum, 30 years worth of momentum that said, go to college, go to college, go to college. And you don't, you don't uh, dissuade people from that, you know, easily, particularly parents who want to believe that, you know, their kids are the finest in the world. And every parent should believe that. I don't have any problem with that. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to deal with reality. And the reality is, it's not that one's smarter than the other is different. And, and, and very necessary. So the 10-year you know, goal, the long-range goal is New Pathways is a model that we think, uh, and, we're, and of course we're gonna be talking you know, to the state about this, and, and we did talk to the Lieutenant Governor about it when he came up for our opening. But it's a model that can be used throughout the state to be that sort of skunk work thing between the high school and and the Germana and, and, and any community college that you have a relationship with to enable them to do things that they cannot do inside the system without the risk. And that's what that's what the most compelling part is. So for us, our step number one is to uh, take this program back to the schools and say, look, it's great you guys are doing this. The county's giving you money to build a new building and start a vocational school. But for the CNC program, it's it's very necessary for us to start a dual enrollment with your with your uh, seniors and then have them poured over to the system. You know when when they're ready to leave because there's a lot of people that want their kids to go to go do something else and, and this will just provide that opportunity so the long-range goal f for all of this is this can be done with almost any kind of trade it doesn't necessarily have to be a machinist trade but the new pathways could sit in the middle of all of those things and be the organic catalyst that makes that makes the the, the system work smoothly as opposed to being so regimented because our school system, I mean, it's, there's nothing, I don't want to say that there's nothing wrong with the school system. And I, I'm not downing it. I'm just saying that things change slowly and the advancements that we've made in education uh, are tremendous. But it's still the basic model that we uh, inherited from the Prussians 130 years ago. It's an industrial model. An industrial model is silos, and silos don't work in the age of technology where you're subsuming jobs at 42% a year. Right, yeah, I, I think what you said earlier too, um, something close to my heart or an attitude change close to my heart is the importance of recognizing the dignity of work in all of its forms and um, giving respect to all forms of work and allowing people to use the skills that they have uh, to flourish is, um, is incredibly important, important and um, an attitude I, I hope that our culture is moving back towards. Uh, 
I also wanted to, to ask you, Sue, about this model. Frank spoke about the model, about um, the, the partnerships with uh, community colleges, the partnerships with uh, companies as well. Can you talk a little bit about whether or not uh, you see this model as uh, translatable to other localities? So the issue of workforce development is one that almost every locality in the Commonwealth is dealing with. Uh, but some models work well in one area, um, but may not work well in another. How, how do you see the model that you all have chosen in uh, Culpeper County working in other areas? Or do you see it as uh, translatable to other areas in Virginia? Yes, I, I do think it's translatable. Of course, it depends, like you said, on the area. If, it, if it's very rural, um, it also has to be the, how would we say, the county would have to be really involved in wanting it to happen. There's some counties that aren't as wealthy as other counties. They may not have the uh, funding to do what's needed. So therefore, that other county would have to figure out, all right, well, who's going to be our partner? But I think most counties have a relationship or they should have some relationship with a community college. Uh, I know that uh, some of the community colleges are pretty far away, maybe, from um, some of the counties. But it has you have to have some type of relationship with the school system, the county, and um, community colleges. I think the community colleges are very important to making this model work. Um, it's hard to be a standalone school without that piece because you're looking for grants, and there are grants that come only through the community college. Um, so I think it can work. You may want to start smaller. You may decide on what the uh, location, vocational class that you're looking to start. But certainly I think if you can get everyone engaged from the local government to the community college to the public school system, the communication is key. But I think this can be transferable. If we can do it, everybody else can do it too. It's just going to take a lot of effort, patience, and time. Unfortunately, a lot of us have a lot of patience, not a lot of time, but we're willing to go that extra mile to, to make it happen. And you've got to have that person that's really passionate about it. And that's really the key is having the passion. Don't you think so, Frank? We got passion. Oh, yeah, we have passion. <laughs> I, I was going to just add that you know, we, we have plenty of passion. We, I think you need to, it's, it's absolutely scalable and adaptable. There isn't any question about that. The question for everyone is going to be, is it appropriate? And Sue sort of touched on that. You know, is it appropriate for your locality? So the first question any locality that wants to, you know, have a, have a dream about doing something like this is to say, what is it? It's just like any business question when you start a business or, or any endeavor, um, you know, what do you want to be able to do? In other words, what, what, like you asked me, what is your, what is your, what's the 10 year goal? What's the output of this thing? And if, if you want to make it local and just a, a, a unit that can handle things between, um, you know, all of the education sources that you have, you can do that. If you want to scale it to our size, you can do that. And if you want it to get much bigger, you can do that as well. So the model scalable and adaptable but but the question is for every everybody is it appropriate for us or is some form of it appropriate for us and i know you all uh 
uh, we just want to be respectful of your time. So I only have one more question. Uh, but I wondered if you, you know, in closing, could share one thought uh, about workforce development that you would like to leave with community leaders throughout the Commonwealth. If there's just one principle or one fact or one piece of knowledge that you would share, uh, what would that be? And I'll let uh, Sue, you go first. Mm, let's let Frank go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it. Well, Angela, I mean, I, I think I think you said it, but, you know, actually, Booker T. Washington, and I mentioned to you, I think, in, in the discussion before, you know, said it best. You know, societies will not advance until we, uh, and these are just paraphrasing, treasure the work of the, of the person in the field as much as, uh, we treasure the poet, but but the translatable piece of that is exactly what you said. We have to we have to value everybody's work and career and get back to distinguishing, um, you know, credit for what is actually accomplished uh, rather than courses taken or you know whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I would say to everybody, we need to get back to thinking in this country that everybody's important and ca- or can be important. But they don't necessarily have to be, you know, a Nobel winning physicist to do so. I love that Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington quote or paraphrase of a quote. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, look it up. It's not exactly like that because I'm old enough. Close enough. The message yeah. things always sticks with me. I mean, that one hit me in the head years and years and years ago. And Booker T. Washington and George. It's interesting that we're at George Washington Carver because the two of them, I think, did more, you know, for this kind of stuff back in those days, and, and it was becoming very, very productive until all of a sudden things changed. You know? right. I, I think the one thing that I'd like to leave with everyone is that if you personally see a need and you're trying to figure out how you can make it work, reach out to other people in your community and pose the question, and you may be surprised for how many people have been thinking about the same issues what can we bring to our community that's going to help? So if you have a nugget of an idea, reach out to two or three people and find out if they're interested as well, because you're not going to do it alone. It's going to take a group. So I'm thinking, reach out. Hey, I think we have a need for the school. What do you think? And you'd be surprised. People will gravitate to you and you can make it happen. And be prepared to work. Hard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't think I can improve upon uh, those nuggets of wisdom there. I think uh, all of those are are great for all of us to learn from as we look towards solving the challenges in our community. So Frank and Sue, thank you so much for taking time to share uh, some of your insights and about the program uh, of New Pathways. And we wish you the absolute best of luck with that and uh, look forward to seeing how that program grows in the future. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Angela. And Sue, I'll see you at 1 o'clock where we go to work. There you have it. (laughs) Bye, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye.